Hi, this is Welcome to the End Times from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and demon who didn't mean to fall, but just hung out with the wrong people, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Southern Fried Scholar and bike healing, cocoa drinking, pornography book selling angel, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we're here today to talk about Good Omens, Episode 2, The Book. Gather thee right close, good people. It's time to stop Armageddon. In the book, Gabriel and Sandalfon visit Aziraphale at his bookstore and tell him that the four horsemen are being summoned and everything is going to plan. The war is afoot. Haster and Liger visit Crowley through his television to give him a similar message. Meanwhile, actual war shows up at a peace summit and by the time she saunters away, everyone is dead. After all, you can't have a war without war. Back in time to 1656, we get the story of Agnes Nutter when the townspeople grab her and set her on fire for the last witch burning in England. Leading the mob is Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery Pulsifer, Newt's ancestor, and a major in the Witchfinder army. Agnes, however, is ready for them. She's filled her skirts with black powder and roofing nails, and she takes the village population with her when she goes. She leaves her book to her daughter and her husband, and they start the family tradition of studying the prophecies. We move forward in time to 11 years ago when the babies were born, and young Ananthema Device is going over the prophecies with her mother. Her mother tells her that she is going to have to save the world. Meanwhile, a young Newton Pulsiver wants to be a computer technician, but when he touches a computer, it takes out electricity for the block. Present-day Newt takes a job as a wages clerk, but doesn't want to touch the computer. They force him to, he takes out the office, and gets immediately fired. On his way out with his things, Newt bumps into Witchfinder Sergeant Shadwell, a Scottish man ranting on a street corner. Newt buys him lunch, and Shadwell hires him for the W.A. Newt shows up the next day, meets Madam Tracy, the sex worker who lives across the hall from Shadwell, and then receives a pile of newspapers from which he is to cut any unusual news items. Meanwhile, Anathema Device shows up at Jasmine Cottage in Tadfield, ready to get to work at stopping the apocalypse. Aziraphale figures out that something went wrong at the baby swap, and now they just need to find another 11-year-old boy born the same day at the same convent. No problem! Meanwhile, in Tadfield, Ananthema is mapping ley lines when she comes across Adam and his gang playing Spanish Inquisition, and she asks Adam about any unusual phenomenon in the area. Crowley and Aziraphale arrive at the hospital in Tadfield, and Aziraphale says the place feels like it's loved, but they get shot with paintballs as company group plays a team-building exercise. Crowley turns all the guns real, and the team goes after each other while he and Aziraphale find Sister Mary Loquacious and hypnotize her for information. Unfortunately, she never knew the name of the family the baby went with, and Haster burned down the hospital and the records with it. While driving back, Crowley and Aziraphale hit Ananthema on her bike. Aziraphale miracles her broken bones and broken bike and makes Crowley give her a ride home. They drop her at Jasmine Cottage and head back to London where Aziraphale finds her book in the back seat, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter. The book was written by Neil Gaiman and directed by Douglas McKinnon. All right, Dr. Jones. Okay, so we're about to get into this discussion of the book, but I kind of want to have a little bit of a talk first. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up, y'all. 
about the narrative. Um, I have not been really kind of addressing the the narrative stuff. I mean, here I am, story expert, narrative theory. That's kind of my thing. It's kind of what I do. I haven't really been talking about it yet um, because these episodes are not episodic in that they are a complete narrative in any individual episode. We get our complete narrative over the course of six episodes, which is honestly like how many series have have frequently worked like in the past. That's, you know, that's how like a six episode thing could be one story in six episodes, like a really long movie. So because we're not having really tight narratives within each individual episode of Good Omens, I'm not really addressing all of that stuff. And I know there are some people who are like expecting me to address it and I will, uh, but I'm going to do that in the last episode as we discuss like the whole thing as we respond to Good Omens as a whole. Because I have a lot to say, but it's all dependent upon all the textual evidence from the whole run of the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just going to like not necessarily hit on all those narrative things. But for anybody who's frustrated by this as a narrative, um, I haven't missed anything. (laughs) (laughs) We will talk about it. I'm just going to wait until the end and I'm going to have my my big discussion then. So I'm just letting y'all know. Sounds like a good plan. An ineffable plan. It's an ineffable plan. It's an ineffable plan. (laughs) I know. So I guess we can get started um, talking about, I don't know, what do you think is the most important thing in this episode? What is the thing that you responded to? It's Adam, isn't it? Uh, No. Or is it it Newt? (laughs) No. Is it anathema? Nope. Is it perhaps Crowley and Aziraphale? It is. See, this is an episode about Crowley and Aziraphale and some other people just happen to show up. But yes, absolutely. This is the episode where Crowley pushes Aziraphale up against a wall and I just don't care about anything else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm just letting everybody know we are going to spend the next 40 minutes or so just talking about Crowley pushing Aziraphale up against the wall. Because hot damn. I mean, hot, 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 hot damn, damn. Right? Yeah. And like, I know this episode is titled The Book, but I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it should be titled The Wall. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like, yes. You know, you watch an episode more than once when you're podcasting mm-hmm. about it. Yes. And sometimes it is required as a professional who is concerned about the story they are discussing that you rewind certain scenes. Uh-huh. Over and over and over again, be- because you you must and yes. <laughs> that that oh my god I've seen the whole show I love the whole show this is probably my now this is not my favorite episode but this is probably mm-hmm. my favorite moment <laughs> of the moment whole of run the whole thing. <laughs> the whole all thing. right <laughs> all right so let's let's go ahead and kind of talk about um. Uh, like uh, you know what happens, so we okay. can kind of build up. We to can the wall. we can build up to the wall, but but just know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we open. We've got this kind of lovely, funny moment, yes! right, with Gabriel yes. and and Sandalfun. Yeah, Sandal Sandalfun Sandalfun. The way they pronounced it sounded like Sandalfoot, but Sandalfoot. the way it's pr- it's Sandalfoot? way it's spelled is Sandalfun. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm gonna yeah. call him Sandalfoot. All right, so Gabriel and Sandalfoot <laughs> end up in the Sirafels bookstore. <laughs> Right. And they're pretending to be human. And we have Gabriel. I would like to purchase one of your material objects. <laughs> it's so great. It's Gabe, kind of adorable. It's so great. He's so enthusiastic about mm-hmm. this role 
that he yeah. thinks he's supposed to be playing. And and this this grin on his face when he nods and he's like, pornography. And he's just smiling. <laughs> cracks me up. John, John Hamm is so good. He is delightful. I mean, here's the thing. Like, John Hamm, most people know him for Mad Men. Um, but John Hamm, when he is doing comedy, is... I think maybe one of the most delightful people on the planet. Like he had a, a small role in like um, 30 rock, you know, and he's, so he said, I like, I've seen him. He's done like Saturday night live stuff. Like we've seen him do comedy and he is so, um, the, the way he does comedy is so unaware. Like he is so willing to be the butt of the joke rather than the like wink, wink person uh-huh. making the joke, you know? And there is something about that that is so delightful. And honestly, like, you know, Mad Men, one of these days I'll talk about Mad Men as well, like the reasons why I think it's both really great, really well written, and I also hate it. There's like a, a whole complicated thing with that. Um, but John Hamm, as much as I liked him and as much charisma and charm as he had in Mad Men, um, in, in a single second of him as Gabriel, there is more charm, there is more fun, there is more delight than like anything else, than any of the serious work that he does. Yeah. I love him. Well, I made it through exactly one episode of Mad Men, and I was like, nope, mm-mm, can't do it, mm-hmm. not, can't do it. But yeah. um, but I did want to give a shout out, because he is from my current city. He was born in St. Louis. Yes, he is. Was, was super yeah. cool. Uh, but, but this whole beginning bit, you know, when he... Uh, tells Aziraphale that, that now that the Hellhound has been named, the four mm-hmm. horsemen of the apocalypse have been summoned. Yeah. Um, and I love that the international delivery man is now the summoner. The like summoner. I like that they've given him a role. Yeah, yeah. it was so great. But um, he's also just a regular guy, too, yeah, which is kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. It was really good. Um, but Aziraphale, you know, you can see Crowley's influence on him because he's starting to ask questions. Yes. And he's like, well, who exactly summons them? And uh-huh. Gabriel says, not my department. I believe we outsource that sort of thing. I and I was just... And I love the way he says it, too. He's like, not my department. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's just a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. I, don't, you know. I don't know. And I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I love that. You know, I, I love that Aziraphale has been affected by Crowley because we have him... So deeply characterized as, as, you know, an angel of faith, right? Yes. That like, whatever it is, it's to an ineffable plan. And I just really don't have much to do with it, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Whereas Crowley has always been questioning, has always been asking these questions. And slowly, that has kind of affected Aziraphale to the point where we find him questioning Gabriel, which I think is really pretty cool. I do too. And I, and I love that he doesn't course correct Gabriel. Yeah. You know, when they're, yeah. they're just... Being so funny about why they're there and what they're buying and the fact that they have to go in the back room. <laughs> oh, and Gabriel leaves yeah. and he's just so cheerful and he's like, thank you for my pornography. And I'm like, I oh, know. baby. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, you fooled him. You know, I mean, Aziraphale yeah, is just so, so adorable funny. with that. It's so funny mm-hmm. and it's so cute. And like, I desperately want, so Elizabeth Gilbert's new book, City of Girls, came yes. out yesterday. Oh, yeah. So I am going to a bookstore this weekend uh-huh. to buy said book. Uh-huh. And I so badly when I check out, I just want to grin and be like, thank you for my pornography. But if they <laughs> haven't seen the show, they're just going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> right. 
but I really, really want to. Like, <laughs> well, I almost guarantee you that somebody is going into Barnes and Noble buying a book and saying thank you for my pornography on the way right? out. I imagine it will be something that the Barnes and Noble or the the general bookstore, whatever bookstore you're going to, will probably be made aware of fairly soon. I mean, if not already, yeah, it's just so cute. Mm-hmm. And then, and I love this contrast that we get between. Aziraphale being so cute and Gabriel yeah. being so clueless yeah. to Crowley, 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 strutting around his apartment in these yeah. black skinny jeans, like <gasps> taking out all oh his anger God. on these houseplants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I swear to God, I kill every plant I've ever had, but <laughs> demonic gardening. I think maybe my new hobby and form of stress relief because I like, know I, it's hot. Like <laughs> I know. Well, and also like David Tennant's physicality. Oh my god! You know he doesn't walk; he dances. Yes. You know, like wherever he, he moves. There's like the whole thing where he didn't exactly fall so much as saunter vaguely downwards. You know, and I would say that there's a there's a saunter. There's like a, a jaunt to his movement. Oh yeah. Which yes. is so lovely. I love that there's there's always like a rhythm in his physicality. And the thing is that David Tennant is really very much bringing that to the role. I love the way that he brings such an expressive physicality to the the representation of, of Crowley. Yes. I think it's and so cute. When he's in conversation, even mm-hmm. when he's talking to his plants, he talks yeah. with his whole face. Yes. Yes. It's just the most incredible expressive. Anybody else doing that, I think, would be a bit much. Yeah. You know, but when he does it, he makes it work. I don't know how, but he makes it work. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, I'd watch an hour of just Crowley and Zerofell driving around in the building. I know. I I love it so much. And and but there there are these before we get to the 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 big big thing. Um There are some smaller moments of tenderness between them. Mm-hmm. So when they show up at the convent and they get hit with the paintballs, you know, yeah. uh, Aziraphale's coat is now stained. And he's like, well, if I mir- miracle it away, I'll still know the stain is there. And Crowley reaches over and blows that stain away. And honey, uh-huh. I about melted into a puddle of lust because that oh is my a sexy God. moment. It was sexy, but it was really sexy so moment. Sweet. It was so sweet. It is. I mean, it is. It's so incredibly sweet. And there's something. There's something about the way that these two care for each other. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there is a lot of, like, just raw sexiness between them. You know, there is this chemistry. Um, but it's also deeply affectionate. You know, like there's there's more than just like a sexual thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. real love between them. Mm-hmm. And and I like we see them both kind of in their own form of delight mm-hmm. in this episode, too, because yes. Crowley's grin when he turns mm-hmm. those paintball guns into machine mm-hmm. guns is fucking priceless. And oh, then at God, the end, yeah. when Aziraphale finds the book, uh-huh. like his overexcited overwhelmed like giddiness is equally perfect for him Mm -hmm. you know and it's just so great you know it's so good um and and crowley assuring aziraphale that no one's gonna die like he's armed all these people with machine guns yeah and he's loving it Mm -hmm. but he's like they're all gonna have miraculous escapes it wouldn't be fun otherwise yes like because it wouldn't be fun for aziraphale and i'm like oh he, I like, 
no. He really loves him. But then when Aziraphale says he knows he's nice deep down and Crowley just loses it and pushes him <laughs> against the wall. And I'm sorry. I know we're here to talk about a story, but oh my fucking God. Like, please, please, yeah. please, yeah. for the love of all that is good and holy, let there be a bonus clip somewhere, someday of Aziraphale looking up from him from that wall and just kissing him. Like, <laughs> I want Aziraphale to be the one that does it. I want to see it. Nothing would make me happier. Yes. Like, oh, oh, God. I know. I know. It's just so, it's so intense. And the thing that I love, too, is this kind of reflection that we have in this episode. Because there's this moment where Aziraphale calls him nice, right? And mm-hmm. Crowley has this really strong, visceral reaction to yeah. that. Do not call me nice, right? Because he knows I think on some level that Aziraphale is right, you mm-hmm. know, that he is, he does have empathy. He doesn't care for it, but he has it, you know? Um, and so I kind of like that. And then we have a moment later. It's a much milder moment, but it's also something that has to do with this sense of their identity. I mean, they are so tied into their identities. I am demon. You are angel. That mm-hmm. means something, right? Because we have these identities and where they even got them, why Crowley you know Crowley says like um that he wasn't a bad guy he's just hanging out with the wrong people right you know so he's just hanging out with the wrong people and ended up he ended up getting on that gang and yet like because they've been on these two opposite sides it is so tied into their sense of identity and later on in the episode when Crowley calls uh Aziraphale a cult and Aziraphale objects angels aren't a cult they're ethereal you know right um that that here we have to use these semantics in order to maintain this sense of identity. And so much about these two and everything that they are wrapped up in is tied into identity rather than what either of them truly genuinely believes in, Mm -hmm. truly genuinely actually is. You know, I mean, we see Crowley go out with the plant right? He doesn't destroy the plant in front of the other plants. He goes out with the plant and then suddenly the plant, the pot is empty. Oh, oh, but no, no, no. Okay. I went back and watched this again. Yes. And this time I turned closed captioning on. Yeah. And if you have closed captioning on, it says when he walks out of the room, Mm -hmm. it says sound of um, garbage disposal running. Oh. And then he comes back with the empty pot and I was like, Crowley, you are so mean. Like no. <laughs> no. I think I think he put the I think he turned on the garbage disposal. Mm. I think he put that plant in the garden. Uh-huh. I would believe it. We don't see I what would he does too. with that plant. Yep. I would absolutely believe that he put that plant in the garden. You yep. know, and he's just doing it to scare the other plants. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's really it's just really great how they when they are either alone or together. Mm-hmm. we see more of a blend right yeah. not all good mm-hmm. not all bad right but when there's a third party they fall into these separate roles so quickly so when they hit anathema crowley mm-hmm. is all i'm not giving her a ride there's nowhere for the bike i don't care i don't care i don't care yeah and aziraphale mm-hmm. is healing her and healing the bike mm-hmm. and adding the bike right to the bitly which was hilarious oh um <laughs> and you know and so you see them they're sort of performing those roles because mm-hmm. there's someone else present yeah but but when they're alone or when they're to, with just with each other mm-hmm. they're much more themselves and they're much more nuanced yeah between mm-hmm. that good and that bad and mm-hmm. oh god i just love it i love I it it's so good 
It's so it. good. It's so lovely. I love that they see each other clearly when they don't even see themselves clearly. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it seems like that, that neither one of them can truly be fully themselves unless they're together. Yeah. It is only when they're together that they can be truly, completely themselves. And I kind of love that because there is that person who is, who is providing witness to your true nature. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that observation, right, yeah. that makes it real. There is power in being seen. And these guys can only truly be seen by each other. And I just, I think it's wonderful. I do too. And I love that we're seeing Aziraphale's affection for Crowley a lot more in the show than I think we saw in the book. Um, I think so too. I saw something, somebody on um, Twitter, and I'm so sorry, I can't remember who it was, had shared um, an article that in which Michael Sheen had said that he was playing Aziraphale as though Xerophel was in love, like legit romantically, sexually in love with Crowley. Yes. And I think that you can absolutely see that in Xerophel. You can absolutely see that part of his performance. And I think that you see it a bit in Crowley too. I mean, I think that Crowley, it feels a little more textual mm-hmm. because it's his affection is shown through his actions yep. more than necessarily. But you see that and that was in the book. But for Aziraphale, he felt a little more like you could tell that he had feelings about Crowley, you know, mm-hmm. but but it could be read in a like wide range, you know, in a spectrum. Like there was a lot of space for the reader to kind of put in whatever they wanted. But here, Michael Sheen's performance is actually putting this into the text. I mean, Aziraphale is dead in love with Crowley. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think, love that choice. And the difference between them, because Aziraphale is expressing this, I mean, mostly with words right now, in, in, a, in his way. Right. And, and Crowley is reacting in a very physical way. What, what does he do? Mm-hmm. He pushes him against the wall because we yep. have this incredible physicality yep. from Crowley. And it's just so well done. And it's so delightful. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't. I don't know that I have enjoyed chemistry between two actors that much in a very, very long time. No, no, absolutely. And I think that, too, as much as, and I'll get to the narrative in the last episode, <laughs> we'll talk about it when it's all done. Um, but as much as I find myself somewhat frustrated by the narrative of Good Omens, um, the moment to moment work is so beautiful. And the relationship between Crowley and Aziraphale. Mm-hmm. Um, it is transcendent. I mean, it truly is. And I absolutely love the, I, I love showing this, this masculine community love. I mean, one of the things I talk about a lot when I see non-toxic masculine community, you know, which is something that we don't get represented as much, I think, in our storytelling that we've been getting it more and more in recent years, you know. Right. Um, but there is something so lovely about that, being able to show men that are, whether it be in a romantic context or not, just to show men that are allowed to have true affection and love for each other. You know, the mm-hmm. way that women are, like women are allowed, even when they're not in a romantic relationship, to show genuine affection and community and all that kind of thing, you know, but men have been denied that, I think, culturally mm-hmm. um, for quite some time. You know, the stories that we tell are like our, you know, our rogue hero and the, the one guy, the James Bond, the, you know, mm-hmm. and they're always kind of alone. 
You know, they're always separate from community. Um, they will have maybe a woman or romantic interest or usually, honestly, a sexual conquest more than a romantic interest. Um, but they're, they're always closed off, I think, from like a lot of our male heroes. If you look back through, you know, the stories that we've been telling culturally for, I don't know, the last hundred years or whatever, um, men are isolated from community. And here we have this really lovely, non-toxic male community between these two people. And regardless, I mean, I love the romantic and sexual context of this. I think it's great. I'm all for it. But even without that, right. I love the way that they love each other because they also love each other just as people. Yes, absolutely. And 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 it's, it's so great to see because mm -hmm. I, I don't, I mean, as much as I would love to see that clip, it, it yeah. would make me incredibly happy. <laughs> I'm fine without it. And and yeah. even if, if to read this without sexuality, yeah. the love between the two of them is so clear and yeah. so strong. And it's just wonderful. Well, and he throws <laughs> him up against the wall. And this is a demon throwing him up against the wall and hissing in his face. And Aziraphale is not scared. I mean, no. he's a little startled. Yeah. But he knows Crowley's not going to hurt him. No. And, and, you and, know? and, and, and you know, even the, the comedy interruption, you mm -hmm. know, Sister Mary saying, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt this intimate moment. And I was like, yes, me too. But <laughs> and that's a nice textual call out. Thank you. Yes. You know, yes, yeah, so exactly. Like but mm -hmm. it wasn't, there wasn't a joke about the two of them having an yes. intimate moment. It was just right. the interruption of that moment. Right. Um, there was no judgment on that at all. No, not at yeah. all. But when we mm -hmm. talk about stories or scenes that are made specifically to delight us, I just want to say they wrote this for me. And thank you very, very much. Because <laughs> holy thank God. you, Neil Gaiman. You've thank made you. Dr. Kelly Jones very, very so happy. So incredibly happy. <laughs> and, and the other thing that made me really happy in this episode that I did not get from the book was a much stronger sense of kind of the matriarchy in Anathema's mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. I loved Agnes Nutter. She was so great. Um, I read an article with Neil Gaiman where he said he fought to keep the bonfire scene in the show. Originally, they thought it was going to go too far over budget to be included. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, Agnes was Terry's. Uh, that was Terry Pratchett's creation, and he was going to make sure it was in the show. And I was really glad that they did because yeah. she was fantastic. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And I like how they twisted some of the prophecies so this, in yeah. December 1980, an apple will arise that no man can eat. Invest thy money in Mr. Jobs' machine. And I was like, damn, I wish I'd had a book like that. I like, wish, yeah. Right? No, it's um, great. But I like how it was going through. You know, we're hearing this from Anantha's mother who mm -hmm. said, you know, my mother did this. She followed the prophecies to provide for the family. I'm teaching this now to you and you're mm -hmm. going to go on and save the world. Right. And, and there's a real love in that relationship mm -hmm. too um, that I, I really, really liked. Um, yeah. I laughed at Anthema's honest response to the airport mm -hmm. customs woman. And then when she was like, and when the lady was like, excuse me. And an Anthema was like vacation. Like I, yes. I tried to tell you what was going down. <laughs> you obviously don't want to hear it. Um, and I just want to live in Jasmine Cottage. It's so I know, pretty. It's so pretty. The whole thing is so pretty. I want to go to England. Can we go to England? We should. We Let's should go to England. All do right. an on location. <laughs> do an on location. I want to stay in Jasmine Cottage. Um, but I love Anathema. The thing that I really love about Anathema. I mean, first of all, I love her glasses. 
right? Yeah. Those are glasses that are serious. They are business glasses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she has, I love her outfits, the way that they yeah. styled her. They almost styled her in this, you know, kind of 19th century you know, yeah. sort of look, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of neat. Um, and I love her extreme competence. Yes. This is a woman who is about business. She is getting shit done. She knows what she's got to do. And while I think overall, I would have enjoyed maybe... Okay. While overall, in a character like Anathema, I would have enjoyed my, like a deeper read into her internal experience. That's not the kind of story that Good Omens is, right? Right. right. So as much as I, when I think about, oh, I would have enjoyed that, I'm like, no, because that's not what this story is. And the thing mm-hmm. is that no matter what, like, no matter what it is that you're doing when you're uh, when you're adjusting and adapting a narrative, you have to never forget what it is and what it's doing, right? Right. And that's not the kind of story that this is. I would love a character like like anathema where we're getting like a deeper read into her internal experience mm-hmm. um but as it is like i love her competence i love how down to business she is i love that she's got all these tools i love when she's out there in the field on the ground with her theodolite mapping the ley lines and mm-hmm. using her ipad to figure everything like i love all of that and i think that it's just fantastic yeah, I loved her use of the old tools and the new yeah. technology. Yeah, you know, that she's no, mastered cool. both, and mm-hmm. and she's putting them both to work, uh, which was a great contrast with Newt. And TV show mm-hmm. Newt is much better than book Newt. Yes, um, TV. I mean, granted, not a high bar. No, but, not a high bar, but he's but much better. better. Yes, he has mm-hmm. real vulnerability, and yes. because of that vulnerability, the way that he's brought into Shadwell's cult makes a lot more sense. It like does. It's, it it's does. a lot more believable at that mm-hmm. point because of, you know, of what we've seen him go through. Um, and then I love TV adaptation, Madam Tracy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or saying, I don't do anything geeky except by prior arrangement. arrangement. <laughs> like, oh, my God. That is so perfect. I really I like her. Miranda Richardson is really great in that role. Um, yeah, she's really delightful. Um, so she's a lot of fun. Um, I like Newt. I, I mm-hmm. love Newt when he goes into his new job, you know, <laughs> and he's like, is there a way that I can do this without the computer? And she's like, <laughs> yeah. you want to access the wages database without? The- is there any way I could just do the sums on paper? Because when I touch a thing and then they're all like, you know, we gotta, we gotta go. He's like, I just have to hit return. He hits return. Boom. Everything goes out, you know, and they immediately blame him for everything and fire him. But then of course, those are all, and I thought this was actually a nice adaptive choice is that all the people that were in the office with Newt are the ones who are shooting each other at the convent. And they're talking about the team building exercise in the scene with Newt. And I thought that was kind of a nice, you know, it's a nice efficiency, you know, pulling these things together and keeping them connected. It is. And then I love this echo of the guy, like, mansplaining the obvious, just like um, Sandalfoot does at Aziraphale's bookshop when he's like, you can't have a war without war. Right. And then the woman that complained about the team building exercise and her boss is like, well, there is no I in team. And this guy says, but there is one in exercise and two in building. And I was like, oh, my God. Really? Thank you for that contribution to this conversation. 
It was really funny. No, it was it was really cute, and I liked that they <laughs> they made that connection and they kind of pulled that thread through because I think that helps a little bit in the adaptation. Although, I mean, it's easy not to notice that it's the same people, but if you do yeah. notice, it's kind of a nice little oh, those are the people from Newt's Office, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got Michael McKean, you know, uh-huh. as Shadwell, and I actually really like Michael McKean. I mean, like my favorite episodes of the X Files are the ones where he swapped bodies. With oh my Fox god, Mulder. that is my favorite. <laughs> X-File episode. <laughs> the He's dancing so in the mirror oh my with God. those two guys is it's my so favorite fantastic. X-Files moment. Just watching this has made me be like, oh, you know, I want to watch the X-Files again. I haven't watched it in yeah, see, years. Watching this makes me want to go back and watch Sherlock because there's so yes. many actors from Sherlock in this. And right. it's it's just so great to see these mm-hmm. wonderful people all coming to play the show together. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I do like Michael McKean a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Shadwell is, I think I probably like him a little bit more uh, in the TV show than the book, but not a lot. He's still kind of a big turd, and I'm not, you know. um, And Michael McKean, like his his Scottish accent is, I don't know, like, honestly, like, I don't know, it feels weird to me. Maybe it's just because I've I've spent so much time watching Outlander, you know. Um, But it feels a little off to me. Like, even I can tell I think that it's a little off. Maybe it's not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, but, um, I don't yeah. like him, but I appreciate that I don't feel like I'm supposed to like him. There's right. not a narrator a running behind that. him saying how saying everybody how likes him. Right. Exactly. Nobody likes him so except Madam Tracy, who obviously just has tragic taste in men. Well, you know, clearly, and I can sympathize with that, so I'm certainly <laughs> not going to throw any stones at that glass house. But... Um, <laughs> So uh, we get a little bit of Adam and the them again uh-huh. in this episode. You know, they're playing at the Spanish Inquisition and torturing Brian on the swing. And I kind of think it is adorable how they're pushing him back and forth on the swing. And that is their torture. You that know, is their torture. <laughs> it's really kind of sweet. It's really very cute. And I think Pepper is so fantastic. I love I Pepper. love Pepper. She I could do a whole show kid. of like yes. Pepper and Anathema as buddy yes. cops. Yes. You know, I could completely go in for that show. <laughs> absolutely. I would absolutely watch that show. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like Adam, Adam is supposed to be the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. I don't find him. And I mean, I guess that's part of it is that he's not that scary. You know, right. but even when we have that, that scene at the end where he's asleep, you know, we see all the thing and we have this like eerie music under him. Like, he's just not scary. And I think I think that's part of the point that we're going for. But mm-hmm. they're also, like, textually trying to make us feel uncomfortable with this kid, you know, being the, the carrier for all of that power. Um, and I don't know. It just didn't, like, it didn't, that final scene where we've got that, you know, he's sleeping in his bed and he looks really innocent. But then we've got that creepy music under. And uh, and it just doesn't, I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't see it like this kid is just a, a sweet kid and even though everybody's like adam young he's no good you know all throughout the town he's fine these yeah. kids aren't doing anything you know no and it was funny that 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 moment with that really eerie music was followed mm-hmm. uh, it was followed by his father saying no i'm sorry it was preceded by his father saying he's sweet when he's asleep yeah mm-hmm. but what we're supposed to be seeing is the opposite of that Mm-hmm. You know, that, and, and maybe there is something about power and sleep, because when he's asleep, he's not able to control what he's dreaming about or, you know, yeah. his imagination is, is there at that point of 
surrender and, and unconscious thought. And so mm-hmm. maybe it's the potential of that, that sleeping imagination in that room surrounded by all of the things that you can see fascinate him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the alien ship and the the monsters and the books. And, and so you have this incredibly fertile valley for whatever's going to happen with this child. But it made yeah. me, again, more worried for him than I was worried about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think I am more worried for him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, okay, so some other great moments, just little things that happened throughout this episode that I absolutely loved. Um, I really like this moment where uh, Aziraphale and Crowley are in the car, and uh, and so Aziraphale says, you've lost the boy. And then Crowley's like, we've lost him. <laughs> Aziraphale's like, <laughs> A child has been lost. <laughs> and just the little moments between them that go back and forth. I love Aziraphale's, well, I hope nothing's happened to him. And, he, and Crowley says, nothing's happened to him. He happens to everybody. <laughs> I love those. Like, there's just so many adorable little moments between the two of them in the dialogue that honestly you're right i could sit and watch the two of them in a car just talking about anything i don't even care anything i think it's all really great um we also have this wonderful line that i've always loved all that stands between wensleydale and chartered accountancy is time Poor Wednesday Dale. Poor and poor accountants, right? You know, accountants <laughs> always are always the butt of the easy joke is accountants, you know? <laughs> so I feel bad for them because every time they must just be like, oh, you So know. there's this running joke. I have this friend and she is my Marvel movie buddy. And mm-hmm. we go see all the Marvel movies yes. together. Mm-hmm. And the big running joke is... When am I going to get an end of the world movie where everything is saved by like a curriculum specialist? Right. right? Like, come on. Like, come on. We can do this, people. Like um, an incredible teaching moment that saves the world. Like, that's what I want, you know? And so we have this like huge running joke about it every time we go in to see a movie. And so like, I wonder, maybe there's someone who's an accountant who feels the same way. Like, the yeah. world was saved because these books were balanced. God damn it. Stop <laughs> making fun of our profession. <laughs> yeah. See, I always know in any like seriously, like, you know, survival type situation, any walking dead kind of thing, any end of the world apocalyptic thing, I'm going to be the first one off the lifeboat. Oh, but me like, too. What do you yeah. do? Story expert. Bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah. We do not need you. No. I'll see your story expert and raise you curriculum theorist. Like they wouldn't even give me a spot in the village. I would be out. I would be gone so fast and fair, fair enough. I I have no complaints. I'm like at this end of the world situation, which apparently we're actually going to have. So I'm just like, whatever. I'll be old enough. Hopefully by then. I was talking to somebody about this at work today Mm because I've been so excited about Good Omens that somehow it did not cross my radar that The Handmaid's Tale season three is on tonight. It started up again. Yeah, and and that show, like I love it in a different way. It's brilliant, but also Mm -hmm. like. I haven't even up. looked like, at it yet. Oh my I've been god! Told not to. Is, I've been told not to. By traumatizing. A lot of it is yeah. brilliant yeah. and it is amazing. But holy yeah. god, it is hard to watch. Mm. Uh, so I was joking about how, like, if I was in The Handmaid's Tale, I would have lasted 
30 seconds right maybe <laughs> maybe like in the hunger yeah. games i would have been gone yep. before the credits were even nope. the title was open like i would have been dead like, i am a real life red shirt <laughs> like there is yes, nothing this too. is i am the person that people really really like for 30 seconds before she just dies <laughs> And that is all there is for me. Yes. Me too. But I, I love the apocalypse shows. Like, mm-hmm. and, and the people that survive and, you know, figure things out and, like, know how to start fires and, and make right. weapons and find shelter. And can shelter. actually do things and have yeah. skill sets. I am nothing but dead goddamn weight. If you don't kill me at the beginning of an apocalypse, I will be the reason other people die. Like, I'm just letting everybody know now, you know, yeah. I should be the first one to go. so maybe it's fun i think one of the things i love about good omens is we get that apocalyptic yeah story but it's not quite as scary oh no at least you know not right now it's not as scary apocalyptic light like i watch it i'm like okay this is an apocalypse i mean what are we relying on here like books Mm -hmm. maybe i'd have a chance yeah no this in this one we could really in this one an accountant might actually be able to be a hero exactly there exactly. you go. I mean, well, 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 hey, Newt's a wages clerk, and he's That's in right. it. That's right. You know, he's, in, he's it, in it. You know? So there we go. Yeah. All right. So, Dr. Jones, what is your favorite adaptive choice from the book to the TV show? In this episode, it is Gabriel in Aziraphale's bookshop, because yeah. thank you for my pornography is just fucking <laughs> <know> priceless. <laughs> so great. <laughs> what about you? Um, I, I like that they brought the people from Newt's office to do the team building exercise because yes, we had was, the team building exercise. Yeah, it was really nice. I was really glad you pointed that out to me because I did not notice on first watch. A lot of people, you might not notice that. That's It's a very mm-hmm. subtle little choice, but I just, I like the continuity that it brings to the world. And I think that as an adaptive choice, it's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So I like it. I like it. All right. So um, I, I, I feel like I have to ask this question. <laughs> Because we ask this question at the end of every episode. Um, but it also feels, you know, like I, I like I don't need to ask the question, but I'm no. going to. Uh, so, Dr. Kelly Jones, what's your favorite part? We're just going to call it the wall. The wall. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I just, oh, my God, yeah. I don't have words. <laughs> no, it is like, absolutely. Can I, can I please just have a six hour miniseries of David Tennant pushing Michael Sheen up against walls? Because I would watch that. Well, you know, there may be a season two, so you never know. (gasps) They set, I mean, well, well, we're not going to talk about that yet, but I I believe that they will set that up. (laughs) They will set up the potential for a season two at the end of this series. Um, Yeah, so for me, it's the wall. I mean, it's that moment. It's it's a great, great moment. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Chipper End Times. Welcome to the End Times and everything Chipperish Media produces is made free and ad free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to buy our pornography secretly. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Welcome to the End Times by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review or telling your friends about the show and Chipperish Media or not doing anything kinky except by prior arrangement. We will be back next time with episode three, Hard Times. Until then, evil always contains the seeds of its own destruction. No matter how well planned, how foolproof an evil plan, no matter how apparently successful it may seem, in the end it will flounder on the rocks of inequity and vanish.
Eh, for my money, it was just an ordinary cock-up. <laughs>